You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Uh, let me uh, take a moment to welcome you and say uh, good morning. I uh, want you to know who I am, so let me tell you my name is Joshua Clark. Uh, for many of you, you might not know who I am, and that's okay. I haven't been here that long, a uh, few months. Uh, uh, we, uh, my family and I, I'm sorry, moved in August of this past year, and uh, we uh, are getting adjusted, I guess, would be over the last seven, eight months. And uh, so my role here is I am a teacher, professor over at Champion Christian College. This semester I am teaching, let's see, apologetics, biblical theology, I've got some PE module, which I didn't sign up for, but I am doing. Uh, and I also am teaching the Bible class here at uh, 11th and 12th grade Bible class here at Gospel Light Christian School. And so a uh, pretty full schedule. Uh, then as soon as I get done teaching, I get to go and spend my afternoons as the assistant baseball coach alongside Don Schulteis and, and uh, a lot of these guys. And, and, and let me say uh, first uh, thank you uh, for uh, just welcoming our family. Uh, when you are a pastor for 15 years, as I was in West Tennessee, uh, an hour east of, of Memphis, we, uh, we, man, we had family there. Uh, honestly and truly, we had no reason to leave the church except God was saying it's time to do something different. I need to use you in a different way. Uh, the church was fantastic. The people were amazing. They were family. Uh, they, they truly were. They are still family. Uh, even this morning, I sent messages out to a handful that uh, just pleased to pray because I, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more nervous in this one than I was in the first one. It's weird. Uh, just not being in the pulpit in this way the last uh, few months, is, it's been different. Uh, I've had a chance to preach and teach a few different times, uh, but not in this setting. And it's, uh, it's special um, to uh, be able to do this. And, and so I, I certainly pray, uh, thank uh, Brother Eric and the elders and, and whoever had a, a decision in allowing me to, to have this opportunity. But we we loved our church family, and uh, I have some people praying for me right now uh, as we speak uh, or as we sit together and uh, whatnot. I do uh, also, uh, I want you to know uh, that my wife, m- more of you may know her than you actually know me. That's because she talks more than I do. Uh, that's one reason. But the other reason is because uh, if you've gone to the coffee shop next door, she uh, is the manager there. Brittany is my wife. And, uh, and so uh, you probably have gotten a chance to meet her in that particular way uh, as well. And then I've got four children. One's a freshman baseball player here at Champion. I've got a senior daughter in Gospel Light and two other children, daughter and a son in 10th and 9th grade uh, respectively, and uh, and then my mom is also here. I didn't I didn't say that in the first service. That's bad. She uh, she lives with us, and so uh, we are, are grateful to have my mom to be able to do that and and to to help her and, and her help us in lots of ways. And so uh, God has been really faithful and good. I, I hope that's true in your life as well. And uh, and and I want to say, uh, Don, thank you for being a close friend and brother. Uh, we we have forged a relationship. Out of necessity, in some ways, uh, because we we have to work together, and uh, but but certainly it's been beyond the uh, baseball team at this point, where we're learning to rely upon each other to pray for specifics in our lives, and and I'm so grateful for that. That's uh, something I dearly missed uh, because the brothers that I I uh, discipled and ministered to in Tennessee, man, I would go to the ends of the earth with, and I mean that. Like, let's go to the most dangerous place in the world if God calls us. And I know I've got brothers that are going to be right there beside me, uh, lifting me up, me lifting them up, and uh, as we uh, work for the sake of the gospel and whatnot. And, and uh, team, uh, there, there's a, a good number of the team. I don't know how many are here, but let me just say thank you for being here. Uh, I do uh, appreciate each one of you. Uh, I, I want you to know, and, and I'm going to take privilege just for a second because I'm going to speak directly to them. Guys, I, I've said this to you before, and I'm saying it to you in the power of this moment. God did not call me here to coach baseball. Uh, that, that's just not true. That's just something I get to do. Uh, God called me here because I believe there are men and women, but in this case, uh, men on the baseball team that, that God wants to reach. I think he's using every practice, every moment, every game, every situation as an opportunity to uh, kind of reach into their heart and say, hey, I, I, wanna, I want you to know who I am. And, uh, and I pray that more than anything this morning, 
that you know more than anything, my heart is as excited as I am about baseball right now. Um, and I could care less if we win another game if you don't come to know Christ. Um, and, and church family, continue to pray for us. God is moving. Our attitude is changing. We are learning what it means to honor the Lord in new and fresh ways. And as we do that, I believe God will start to pierce the hearts in, uh, in the way of salvation and in other means. Uh, I can tell you that we are off to the best start in program history here at Champion Christian College. And uh, God has been good and faithful in that way. And, and so we sit at 8-1 and one right now in an eight-game winning streak. And, and so, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, amen. Uh, and so we got a lot of work to do to get where we want to go, but uh, God is faithful. I do want to say uh, on behalf of Pastor, he is in North Carolina uh, at a revival and then a bit of men's uh, retreat or, or gathering uh, this next week uh, in Mississippi. And so be faithful to pray for Pastor as he uh, delivers the word in, in the settings that he is in. Pray that revival breaks out truly and fully. Uh, man, we need hearts to change and come alive again for the sake of the gospel. Amen. And uh, we need that to happen today in our lives. True? Okay, I hope so. I hope you, you want that. I like to think of this morning as a bit of a halftime. And, 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 and I'm not a dancer or a singer, so you're not getting a show. I, I am not gifted in that way, nor am I animated in that way. I, I, I have a very, as my wife says, black and white personality in many respects. Uh, but what I would like you to consider is this. Pastor has been looking at the seven sayings of the cross that Jesus had while he was hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of you and me. In the first three weeks, he looked at the uh, uh, sayings that are really thinking about others. While Jesus is hanging and suffering, he's thinking about other people. And in the first week, we looked at how he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They just don't know. They don't understand. They don't get the whole picture, and how could they? They're not God. But he's offering forgiveness, even in the midst of, of them sacrificing him, so to speak. Well, they didn't sacrifice him. He sacrificed himself. But, but they were killing him on the cross for our sins. And then the second week, we looked at uh, an interesting dialogue between uh, a murderer and a thief. And, and as they were aiming it at Jesus, and eventually the thief started to recognize that this one on the cross in the middle was different. There, there's something unique about him, and, and, and Jesus, in the dialogue with him, recognizes this and, and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me forever. And that is a promise to anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus unto salvation, even this morning. And then last week, we see Jesus hanging on the cross, and he looks down at his mother, and he says, woman, take this one to be your son. And son, talking about John, his beloved disciple whom he held close, and he said, take this woman to be your mother. Take her into the home and watch over. He's thinking of provision and protection for his mother. But I want you to know that, that that's, that's an amazing three, but we've got four sayings that are about to come in the next few weeks as we lead to Resurrection Sunday that are out of this world awesome. God is, and what he did, and how God uh, moved, or how through Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, is just life transformational. It is, for you and I, of utmost importance. And so we have this little intermission in between where pastor's not here uh, this week, and we had three weeks before, and we're going to have four weeks uh, before we get to Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning. But we don't celebrate Easter one time a year. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday every moment of every day of our life if you're a child of God. It is not just a Sunday. It's life. But we have halftime. What happens at halftime? Well, for the teams that are playing, they're making adjustments. They're, they're, they're making a game plan switch, maybe. Uh, this is not working the way that we thought, and this defense is doing this. And, and so we got to think about things differently right now. we got to plan differently. And so coaches are making adjustments, and they're giving it to the team. There might be a, another player or someone that comes in and, and gives them a rah-rah speech, and, and they're ready to, to go and, and run through walls for their teammates so that they can win potentially the Super Bowl, as we watched a few weeks ago. What a great game that was if you like football, and if you don't, sorry, uh, but that, that's the illustration for the moment. It's halftime. And we're about to get into the second half where really it's where everybody pays close attention, right? And, and in that game, there was a lot to pay attention to. 
I, I, what I love about this, the illustration works perfectly in this way. The game ended and it was in a tie. It seemed like, you know, nobody won in the moment. When Jesus died on the cross and he went to the grave, it seemingly, for a second, even his followers were like, everything's gone, everything's crushed, it was all for nothing. And then three days later, stones rolled away. The glory of God shines through. Jesus comes out and he's resurrected. Overtime happens, right? Except this overtime never ends. And for all of eternity, those of us that are part of the family of God get to be in the glory of Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. You know, the truth is, is that life is challenging, isn't it? Um, even in my life, uh, I, I have difficulty. Uh, even in this moment, uh, there are things going on. I, I, I confess to you as I confessed in the first service, I, I tried for the last couple of weeks to convince pastor that I, I didn't need to do this. Not because I haven't preached plenty of sermons. I've preached thousands of sermons at this point in my life. But just difficulty and my mind wasn't right. Satan was trying to attack. All kinds of things were going on. And I just couldn't get clarity. And and the last thing I wanted to do is stand before you all the first time or any time and not be clear about what God wants you to hear. Pastor in his faithfulness was like, no, I, I believe this is right. Being authentic in front of people is the right move. And so... I'm just trusting in the Lord right now, leaning on Him as I hope you do as well. But, but the truth is, you're all going through it. And if you're not going through it, you know somebody who is going through it. Like some of you have little kids this morning, right? And some of them didn't want to wear what you put out to wear. Like they just wouldn't put their foot down in the pants leg. Or they didn't want to eat what you were giving them to eat. Some of you have teenagers. And you're waking them up last second and it's, nothing's going right, right? The world is ending because their hair's not right, the clothes aren't right nothing's right college students this is where I spend most of my day around college students they're making life choices they're they're working through what they think and know and in my case what they believe in apologetics and biblical theology and other classes that I teach adults we're not without things going on are we work life family children schedules to keep up with I mean, it's full, isn't it? I know mine is. And all the while this is happening, Satan wants nothing more than just to mess up your life. Like, like here's the thing. As soon as you decide, I'm going to do everything for the name of Jesus Christ, Satan's coming. Don't know that, right? Like, there's a war going on that I think we just don't give enough credit to or awareness to. Like, he wants nothing more right now than if you were just to shut it down. Don't listen to a word that he wants to say to you this morning. And that's for the ones that are trying to follow Christ. For the ones of you that might not be following Christ or even trying to, he ain't got to really mess with you because you're already doing exactly what he wants you to do. He's got you right where he wants you. My question to you this morning, and really as I lead into this, idea of Jesus the mediator is is who are you listening to where are you seeking advice what are you leaning on and and yes we're going to get to salvation because there's only one way to heaven John 14 6 says this Jesus is a way a truth and a life right oh good I got some notes I was hoping that would be true it doesn't say he's a way. That little article in front of way truth in life is, is so so important it changes everything doesn't it He's not a God, he's the God, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We're going to learn as we walk through the rest of this morning that we can attempt to cleanse ourselves, reform ourselves. You can do all kinds of things. But if you're leaning on anything of your own understanding, you are not going to be with the Father. It's only through Christ Jesus. Life's distracting, isn't it? It's got all kinds of things telling us. You got, I was just this past week given an assignment to my Bible class at Gospel Light. I asked them to write down the last experience they had with God in the Word of God. Like, like the last time you opened the Bible and, and God spoke to you and you heard from God. Because 
according to the Bible, this is living and active. Amen? And for some of you, that that might sound strange. And and if that's true, the whole heart of this church is that you would come to understand that, that this is a living Bible. It's an active Bible. Jesus, this is Jesus in word. I asked them to write it down, a few of them. I even gave, I said, you get a hundred. All you got to do is respond honestly. You get a hundred. I, I, don't, I don't care about making them miss or, or, or what they don't know. I just want to find out what they know and what they think and what they're thinking about. They could write down one sentence. I don't know the last experience I've had with God in his word. And if they wrote that down, as heartbreaking as that is, 100 in the grade book. Some of them did. Some of them did. 22 students, a few of them wrote that down. Some of them wrote about their experience in the Bible, which was awesome, amen? Like, I I was so thankful to see a handful that that wrote down, I I was studying this passage or this psalm or this proverb, and this spoke to me. And then there were many, because I cautioned them. I was like, listen, I don't want what Pastor Eric said last week. I don't want what what you heard by Josh in Bible class or in chapel this week. I don't want the verse of the day or the quote of the day or a song you heard. As amazing as the worship is in this church, I'm not talking about an emotional experience. I'm talking about a a real relationship with the living God. And yet for many and most in that class, that's what I got. So-and-so said this, and it made me think, which is good. I'm not against that. I'm, I'm for that. But what I am well aware of, and what I hope you're well aware of, is this. Unless you personally open up this book and seek God, you're going to hear a lot of things that you might agree with, but you're not going to know God. This is how you know God. This is how you find out that He is our mediator. Who are you listening to? How are you spending your time? What influences do you have in your life? And I have just a, a quick video uh, this morning I want you to pay just a few uh, a seconds attention to, and then I'll uh, tell you what that's about here in just a moment. That's good enough. Thank you. I'm sorry for the clarity of the the, the audio, but what you saw there on the screen is a picture of a flight where all the instrumentation in the cockpit went dead. They had no navigational abilities at that point, and so all the instruments that they would use to know how high they were, how low they were, what speed they're at, what trajectory and angles they're going, all those things are off. And so the pilot is in communication with the air traffic controller. And this air traffic controller is the only one who knows everything that's going on and, and, and where they need to be and what height they need to be. And he's telling them step by step, this is what you need to do. You saw all those squiggly lines? I mean, even at one point, the plane is just a few miles off of shore, but had no idea if you were to listen to the whole audio where they were at. Had no idea how actually high they were in the moment because the instrumentation wasn't there. I wonder in life if that's not how we feel sometimes. Aimlessly wandering, moment by moment, trusting in our own understanding to, to figure out what we do and then, and then what happens. A couple of pictures to kind of illustrate this even further, uh, it, it, we'll see there. There's a, a cockpit and you can see all the gauges and instruments. I, I had an interest when I was young in flying and man, I don't know, that's a lot there to be responsible for, Amen. Go, go ahead and go to the next one there. Just a further illustration. Even on just the main panel of the pilot, so many things they have to pay attention to and be aware of. But, but here's something that they can't fully be aware of. Look at the next one. On the screen behind me, you're going to see all kinds of letters and numbers. And each one of these represents a plane that's in the same vicinity as another plane. All around you and all the time, there are things coming in and out of our lives. And, and that's not just your life, but, but the other person that's next to you's life. And then add in the fact that, that Satan wants to throw some birds into the engine or, or instrumentations that go dead or, or whatever the case may be that God allows in life. 
I want you to notice that in that audio, the pilot is in complete need of someone to speak life and direction and purpose. And the air traffic controller, God, is the one who's speaking it to him. Who's speaking it to you? This morning, I'd like to call your attention to a few different places in the Scripture. But first, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to stand in honor and reverence to the verse this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. I know I hadn't told you that ahead of time, but it's on the screen, so you just have to trust me that this is it. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and, and, and so here's what it says. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you were to go to verse 6, listen to this. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Father, we come to you and ask that you open our eyes to see, soften our hearts so that we might have some truth implanted and, and, and the seeds planted into our heart. And God, that you would grow in us a, a trust and a belief and, a, and an understanding that, that we need your son Jesus in every part of our life. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This passage that we're looking at, this verse that pastor asked me to preach in the middle of the seven saints of the cross, is speaking about one God, one mediator between God and man. There's no other way unto salvation except the name of Jesus Christ. I feel and trust and and believe even that many are in this room, even possibly most in this room, might be at times leaning on something else or someone else. I beg this morning that you consider not letting that be true. This is a prayer that that Paul writes to Timothy, and, and, and Timothy is talking about praying for kings and rulers. He's talking about praying for the salvation of all men, because that's the desire in the heart of God. That's my heart desire for you this morning. It's my heart desire for me this morning. Because I don't think we're supposed to wait till December of 24 for that to be true of this church. And, and I believe that God is already moving and working. I, I heard missions reports this past Thursday night that I was so encouraged by and looking forward to, to being a part of personally in the future. I'm listening to the young men on the baseball team who are saying, you know, and thinking about different things, and and I'm just waiting for God to grab a hold and save them or them to surrender their life to the Lord Jesus. The book of Job talks about a man that that was in a difficult moment. Many of you would be familiar with the book of Job. If you're not, let me just tell you this. He was a man who loved God. In fact, it says he was an upright man, a righteous man. I mean, he was doing it right with God. Children, not so much. But Satan entered the throne room by, by God's invitation, evidently, or, or in, in, in some form or fashion in Job chapter 1, and was given permission to go at the, the, the servant, Job, God's servant. You see, Satan said to God that, you know, hey, I can't even get close to this one because it is true that God will protect us. God is a God of protection. But sometimes he'll allow Satan to, to tempt us or to come at us. And in this particular case, here's what happened to Job. He lost all of his possessions. Everything that he had earthly worked for was gone. His seven children all dead. Even his personal physical ability, he, he had sores from head to toe, suffering mightily. And there's a dialogue going on throughout the book of Job between his friends and Job. Job, what did you do wrong? Why is God punishing you in this way? Job would just keep saying, I trust God. I trust God. Now I'm paraphrasing clearly. There's a lot more to it. Even his wife, even his wife, Job's wife said, hey, why don't you curse God and die? Even in the weakest moment for Job, he, he was still trying to honor the Lord. And he did honor the Lord, I believe. 
He was standing fast and, and strong on the, on the truth of who God is. But, but here's what you need to know. There's a couple of lessons that, that we learn from this. Is One, Job understood the problem that he had. And, and it wasn't that he was losing his possessions. And it wasn't that he was uh, uh, sick or that he lost his children. Those are all things that we would look at from an earthly standpoint and say, well, those are issues. Those are, those are problems. Those are life struggles. And that's true. But that wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem that Job understood is this. He, in Job 1, 9 and 2, or, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, he said this. In truth, I know that this is so, but how can a man be made right before God? goes on in 932 and it says this. He is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. Job understood the problem. What is it? Man's a sinner. Romans 3, 23, 23 says, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. You say, well, how do you know that Job knew this? Well, because here's what he said in Job chapter 9, verse 30. If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. You say, well, what does that mean? Paraphrase this way. God, if I do the very best I can to clean myself up, if I do the very best to, to have a self-reformation process, I'm going I'm to really get it right this time. How many of y'all made New Year's resolutions that have failed already? He says, if I get the purest water there is, if I scrub myself from head to toe, you just see me as wallowing in the gutter. You see me as I am. And I want you to know this morning that God sees you exactly as who you are. And you say, man, this is pretty heavy, Pastor. It is. It is until you meet Jesus. And all those heavy burdens, all those things that are, man, it's lifted off. It'll free you. How can a holy God and a sinful man come together? How can a man be just with God? We see in the scriptures that Job longs for a solution, longs for a savior. So he's not just understanding the problem, but he longs for the solution. He says uh, in Job 9.32, God is not mortal like me. How can I argue with him or take him to trial if there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together? Earlier in Job 9, it talks about how he could ask a a million questions or God could ask him a million questions and, and he couldn't answer one of them. In recent days, I've had the chance to, to work and talk and mediate and counsel individuals, asking them questions like, well, where, what does God want you to do? Have you prayed about this? Does what you're deciding honor the Lord Jesus Christ? These are all questions that I believe in every moment of every day, they ought to be filtering through your mind. Even before we speak a word, what does James tell us to do? Don't say it. Don't speak. Right? Listen. So that you might speak something of wisdom, with discernment from the Holy Spirit. Anybody got an issue with speaking first? Okay, I'm the only one. That's fine. But he says in 932, there's a mediator. This word, uh, you might have it in a different translation. It might be worded differently. Words like umpire, middleman, arbiter. I like this word because, uh, because we have this idea of mediation in life, in, in the law, in the courts, there's mediation. You know what's interesting about that is, and, and we've had a, a chance to, to have a mediation process in the courts uh, through a wreck many, many years ago after we were first married, and, and we had to have a mediator to settle things out. Do you know that neither side was satisfied with the mediation? I mean, it was better than, you know, one end or the other because it met somewhere in the middle, but, but nobody's really satisfied. Because nothing that man does to mediate will ever satisfy anything, right? There's only one thing in life, one person in life that'll satisfy the mediation that is necessary for you between God and you. And that is Jesus Christ. The mediator Job desired is Jesus Christ. That's who it is. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Centuries before the Messiah ever came, Job knew that he needed that one. 
Who's that one? The one who was to come. He knew it. And God builds a bridge between God and man, and that bridge is made of rough timber, as we know it, the cross. And the one on it is Jesus. We'll look at another example here in a few minutes in the Scriptures, but let me give you a little bit more of this idea of who Jesus is, this this one that stands in the middle, this one that stands in the gap, the go-between, the middle man, the man in the middle this morning. Hear this, there's only one God and he makes himself known. He created everything and he gives creation meaning and purpose. You're not here this morning because of chance. You might have been invited here. You might not have known what you were signing up for. Some of you may be guests here, and I forgot to say this earlier. If you're a guest here in the, in the bulletin, there's a QR code. Go find out about us. Hey, and if you are a guest, come back again. I'm not here next week, okay? But you're here for purpose. It's not a mistake that you're here this morning. God's truly trying to speak to you. I believe that wholeheartedly. How do I know that? Because he spoke to me and he's speaking to me. I mean, even as I'm relaying the message that he gave me. God's not some distant deity that set the world like a clock where he wound it up and just left it alone. No, he's intricately and intimately involved in life. He wants to be that way in your life. That really is up to you in many respects. What decision you make. Sometimes it can seem that because there's so much evil and distraction and hardship in the world that, and, and brokenness that God's left us stranded and without. But the truth is there is a God and he's given us Jesus the mediator. All you have to do is receive. Receive. All throughout scripture he's invested. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you feel like no one gets you. No one understands you. That no one sees the, the pain or struggle. And, and listen, if that's true and, and you walked in and maybe you haven't been greeted yet, maybe you haven't had a hug from somebody yet, maybe you haven't had a handshake from somebody yet, can I just ask you, like you can come get that from me. I'm not really that big of a hugger, but I'll hug you. Because I don't want you to know, I want you to know that you're not alone in struggle. You're not alone in this life. And I, I'm not Christ. I've never saved a person in my life. I never will. But I've had the privilege of leading many to know who the one who can save. That's what the seven cries of the cross are about, the first three especially. God wants you to know you're not alone. He's not left you here abandoned. Every human heart in here is searching for something deep in the soul of humanity. There's a void and you're trying to fill it. And you'll try to fill it with everything the world convinces you is good and right. But I promise you, I promise you it will never satisfy there's only one that'll satisfy. What does the word mediator mean? Let's, let's dig into that. It literally means middle person. In other words, one who stands between two parties in dispute, bridges the gap. There's areas of life, pastors are mediators, counselors are mediators, parents are mediators, aren't we? All the time. Coaches are mediators. Umpires are mediators. Sometimes not that great. We Experienced one this past weekend that I hope we never have again. I'll just be honest with you. But he was trying, I think. We need to understand that naturally speaking, there's a a state of conflict that's going on between God and us. Even as a child of God this morning, you you can be in conflict with God. As soon as we, we don't stand under or in the presence of God, we start leaning on our own understanding. It's almost like we know the bridge is there. We've trusted the bridge. We've gone to the other side for salvation completely and totally, but, but we're almost like inclined to walk back across. I'll tell you this. My heart's desire really is to do whatever I do in word and deed. I want to do it all for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect, and I don't get it right a lot, but that is the goal. And God's grieved by our sin, and as a result, he sees us as rebels and traitors. And, and, and you say, well, man, again, like, what, what's the hope in this? Listen, it's coming. I'm about to get there. Rather than wiping us off the face of the earth, God, in his great love, chose to restore us through his son, Jesus. Jesus was born, gloriously lived, sinlessly lived died on the cross and resurrected and we can be reconciled through him 
God the Son is the only mediator to God the Father. And, he's, and so he is the only one who bridges the infinite gap between God and people. Now I mentioned another story. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I am going to paint the picture for you. It's in the book of Esther. All throughout uh, in, in my uh, teaching this year, uh, one of the classes that I get to teach is biblical theology. And uh, some of you, my wife always told me, like, especially when I came out of seminary, I always got in trouble from my wife. None of you men ever got in trouble with your wife, right? Um, but, or corrected. But when I came out of seminary, I, I had come out with a lot of big words because that's what I learned, right? You're learning big words, you're taking tests, and, and that's what I knew. So you come out and you're starting to preach. And she's like, man, we're in a small town. These people don't know what these words are. So I just never assume anymore. Theology is simply this, the study of God. Let me ask this morning, are you a student of God? Are, are you learning who He is? He knows who you are. Are you learning who He is this morning? But biblical theology is different than systematic theology and other kinds of ideas that are out there. But systematic theology looks at how did God want to reveal Himself from the beginning through the book of Revelation. And so there's a thread all the way through, sown from the very beginning before the foundation of the world of salvation in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And so all through there we're tracking and there's imagery and there's typology and there's all kinds of things that God uses, people that God uses to get the picture across. Esther is no different. Let me give you a little bit here of the background to the mediation in the book of Esther. The players in the story are these, King Xerxes. King Xerxes is the powerful Persian ruler, king of the empire. Haman is the military leader underneath Xerxes. We'll find out in just a minute, a very evil man. Esther is the queen of the Persian empire, but, a, but on the down low, Jewish by nature, or, or, or I'm sorry, in race. Mordecai, a relative of Esther, but, but more than that, her adoptive father of sorts is also a Jew. And so these are the main characters. And here's what you need to know. Haman, the military leader, uh, hated the Jews. By the way, that's always been true and it always will be true till Jesus comes back. What we see right now in the Middle East is a result of this ongoing uh, altercation from now until eternity, until Jesus comes back. There's been people trying to wipe the Jews off the face of the planet. Well, since they became the nation of God, the people of God. Haman hated them. And he had decreed and convinced Xerxes to, to uh, issue a genocidal, uh, like, let's wipe them out, a genocide. And so he sent out a decree, and, and the people, the Jewish people, they heard it. And Mordecai, being a, a, a religious leader, a, a, one that trusted, he led the people and they started wailing and weeping in the streets, knowing that this decree would probably come true unless someone, something happened, someone mediated on their behalf. Well, I want you to know there's a lot more to the story that I wish I could have time to, to share with you, but here's the big picture. God had already placed Esther in a place in a, with a purpose so that she could be the person that God used to save the people. And so we, we see that, that Haman wants to destroy them. Mordecai is leading people to well in the streets. If it were modern day, we would have all kinds of cameras and, and social media, just like we see today. Probably not telling the truth, as we well know. But nonetheless, they would still be advertising or promoting what's going on. Eventually, Esther gets wind that, that there's something going on. She's inside the, the, the Persian palace there of Xerxes, but she's not fully aware. Eventually, she does become aware, and she learns there's a crisis. But in every crisis, even in your life right now, or in the one that you're counseling or, or helping to understand uh, what's going on, there's always opportunity in crisis, amen? Some of the greatest growth I've ever had in life are the challenges that come in life. Esther 4.4 4 says this, she sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Mordecai didn't accept it because it wasn't the right moment. Mordecai uh, sensed that it was too quick, too premature, and, and so he, he didn't accept what she sent. And so we see this background to the mediation, and there's this buildup to the mediation that started, that's starting. 
Esther eventually sends out a messenger and, uh, to find out what's going on, and Mordecai tells all that's happening in Esther 4, 8, and 9. What will Esther do? We see here, even in your notes, that Esther becomes the mediator, the one God uses. Now, God had already placed in position to her for the purpose that he had for her. She's got a choice to make very, very soon. There's a conflict between a Persian kingdom and the people of God, and a death sentence has been decreed for the people of God. And so what they need is a mediator. Mordecai tells her all that's about to happen, shares with her the decree issued in Susa of the destruction of the Jewish people. And so she has a choice to make, just like you do right now. Who am I going to trust in? Who am I going to lean on? The only way to get Xerxes to change the decree, to not do what Haman wanted, is for Esther to go before the king. But in those days, there's, there's trouble in this way. If you know the story, you'll remember this part of it, but in, in the, the Persian king, or in kingdom, Xerxes in particular, had put a rule in place where no, not anybody could just come to the throne room. In fact, in order to come into the throne room, you had to stand at the door of the throne room and, and Xerxes would hold a golden scepter and he would hold it there. And if it was upright and he didn't allow you to come in, you would be killed on the spot. So whoever's at the door back there, if he didn't lower the staff or the scepter, that person would be beheaded and killed. Didn't matter who they were. Could have been Esther just as well as anybody. But if he lowered the scepter... You can enter in. And when you enter in, you go and grab the bottom of it, and, and that shows your submissiveness to the king, and, and then you were allowed to, to converse with him. Esther was taking a great risk going to the king. What if he didn't let her in? But he did. He let her in, and she came in. And, and here's what we learned in uh, um, as Esther becomes the mediator, in Esther 4, verse 15 and 16, Esther sent this reply to, to Mordecai, before I go in, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. And after that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. Notice these last couple words. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. But to do nothing is to be assured that the Jewish people would be wiped out. So she couldn't do that. The big picture here is this. She does go before the king. The king lowers the scepter. She comes in. She humbles herself before him. He allows her to speak. He, she shares that she's a Jewish woman and that the decree that he sent out is to kill the very people that she belongs to. She had gained, I guess, enough affection and attention from Xerxes that he said, well, I don't want that to happen. I know that that will hurt you. And so he changes the decree and the people are saved. She mediates on behalf of the people. But I want you to see the full picture here. There's some typology that's happening inside of this text. And here's the, here it is. Haman, the military leader, is a type of Satan. And I, I will tell you that there are all kinds of types of Satan all the time in your life. They're screaming at you. They're all over the, the TV. They're in the music industry. They're sports figures. They're all kinds of people. And they're telling you everything that doesn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, a lot of the time we believe it. We listen to it. We heed it. We let it in. But Haman's a type of Satan. The king is a type of of God. Now, we all clearly know that Xerxes is not God. We'll give some reasons here in just a minute, but he's not God. But he's a type here. He was the one that was able to change the decree. Esther is a type of Christ. She's the one who mediated on behalf of the people. Mordecai, in his sensitivity to say, wait a minute, let's not move yet. And then she comes back with, let's fast and pray. So there was a timing thing there, a mediation. Listen, are you sensitive to the Spirit of God right now? If he says stop, are you willing to stop? If he says slow down, are you willing to slow down? If he's saying go, are you willing to go? And the Jews are a type of sinners needing a Savior. 
So she reconciles the, the Persian Empire and the people of God through the action of, of, of understanding that she, and even if she died, if I perish, I perish. If I have to die to save my people, that's what I will do. Sound familiar? And here's the problem. It's, it's, it's actually worse for us, right? The judgment they were under was under uh, uh, Haman trying to issue the decree and Xerxes, who was the king, who allowed it. But we're under the judgment of God. Haman's wrongly judging the people, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jews. But God rightly judges. What do you mean, Pastor Josh? We're right to be under a death sentence. We're right to be under the judgment of, if we don't call upon the name of Jesus, we are to be separated for all of eternity. That's right. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, God's not a fair God. He's a just God. He's, good. He's just. We don't, we, we've not bowed down to God in worship in many respects. We're in sin and rebellion, and, and we're not honoring and obeying. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. There's no gray there, church. We've rebelled, and the de- sentence is death. So what does God do? Well, here's what he does. It's what Xerxes wouldn't do. He got off his throne. Amen? Xerxes got off his throne. Why did he get off his throne? For you and for me. Actually, for everyone who will call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus says, if I perish, I perish. And he did. He dies in our place. Jesus, being fully man and fully God, is able to reconcile God to men and men to God. He's the mediator, Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 5 again, for there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. He became man to mediate. Our hope's not found in Esther this morning, and it's not found in Mordecai. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the the better mediator, amen? Amen. He's the best mediator. He's the perfect mediator. He's the only one that can allow you and give you the opportunity to have access to God. Jesus is the middleman, the true mediator. In describing how much better Jesus is than even the law of Moses, the writer of Hebrews in 8.6 says this, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant. And further in Hebrews chapter 9, it says how much better the blood of Jesus is than the blood of sacrifices. Bulls, goats, lambs. I always think about this when I read this passage and others that talk about the blood sacrifice of Jesus. I had the privilege about five, six years ago to go to Israel. And as you come out of the the area of Jerusalem, the temple courts, you, you cross the brook of Kidron, which might not mean much to you unless you've studied deeply into this, up until the Mount of Olives, to a place where Jesus would have, have gone to pray the night before that he uh, was going to the cross. But what's interesting is the time of year that was going on, the Passover time of year. And, and during that time of year, the Jews would have been bringing animal sacrifices to the temple for the sake of forgiveness of sins. They were still under the old covenant at that moment. And some estimations by theologians and historians say that there might have been upwards of 144,000 animals slain during that time. And if you know anything about the way the the temple court is structured and where they would sacrifice the animals, they they would cut the animals open and they would bleed out and the blood would go through these troughs all the way through the city. It would drain out like a drainage system. But where did they drain to? Right into the brook of Kidron. The brook of Kidron would be often stained red from the blood sacrifices of all the years of sacrifices. And on the night that Jesus is crossing over uh, out of the the area of Jerusalem, over into the Mount of Olives area, to the place where he would pray, he's crossing a brook, a creek, that quite possibly and probably was filled with the blood sacrifice, realizing fully and totally what he was about to do. No longer will that be necessary. Because the blood sacrifice of one will be sufficient for all. Hebrews 9, 14 and 15 about this says, How much more will the blood of Christ, 
who brought the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal internal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's better. Even in describing heaven as opposed to the earthly Mount Zion, the place of the Jews held as high esteem of the place of worship, even talking about heaven, it says this in Hebrews 12. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to, a, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which has better things than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the true mediator. He, he is the middleman. Listen to this. Esther identified with her people by disclosing her race. She, she, came, she came open about who she was. But Jesus identified with us by joining our race. You see, he was God, and he came to be a part of the human race. Esther had to come to King Xerxes on the throne, but King Jesus got off the throne to come to you, come to to us, I'm sorry. Esther only had access to King Xerxes once, but in Jesus Christ, you and I are given access unlimited to God the Father. Esther's uh, father figure, Mordecai, could not conceal his grief, but Jesus sweat blood in anguish for you and for me. Again, Mordecai trusted that salvation would come from another place, but Jesus, our great God and Savior, came down from the other place, heaven, that is. Esther served as a mediator between her people and Xerxes, but Jesus serves as the mediator between God and his people. Catch this. Esther was willing to die for her people. Jesus actually died for his people. But church family, he's not dead. And this is why with full confidence, I can tell you that my life, everything about it, every second, every thought, everything I say, everything I think, I want. And say I do. I'm not perfect, but I want to be for that sake. I don't want to wait another second, neither should you, to make it all about Jesus. Whatever we do, whatever we say, let it all be for the sake and the glory of Christ Jesus. We can come now, right now, before our King on the throne knowing He died for us and welcomes us into His presence. At the end of the book of Esther, there's a celebration. If you were to read the whole book, it's called the Feast of Purim. Even today, there's a a celebration that happens in uh, the nation of Israel and in Jewish culture. Around the book of Esther, it's read out loud, and Esther's the hero of the story. She's the one who saved the people. However, friends, uh, we have a greater reason to celebrate, don't we? We celebrate our mediator, Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes why it's not more exciting to us than than it is. And you say, well, maybe, maybe it's because it's heavy this morning. I'll remind you that in 1 Timothy 2, as I, I get ready to close here in a minute with the last few points, is this. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's asking him to pray. And, and just for the sake of the moment, let me, let me read it to you. He says, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Timothy, pray for everybody, all people, all of them right now. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Why are we praying? So that there be tranquility and quietness, a a gentleness, a godliness in our life. Now you and I well know that this world is a mess. And it's probably going to remain that way in in the sense that it is now, and probably even worse, until Jesus comes back. But because of Jesus, this prayer is going to be true. It is true already. Amen? Has Jesus not calmed your heart? 
Has there not been situations and circumstances for those of you that have called upon the name of Jesus where you have totally and completely trusted in Christ and he has been sufficient in the moment to bring tranquility, peace, hope, mercy, love, all the things that the Bible describes? It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And then there is the verse, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's a couple of pictures. I just let us visualize it in this way. These, I've seen it done a million different ways. I only point it up there just as a matter of of trying to make sure that you understand the gap between you and God is, is real. Without Christ, you, you have no hope and you have no way to the Father. But if you go ahead and throw the next picture up, because of Christ, the only way, you have hope, you have mercy, you have love. For those of you this morning that... that uh, have never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, I, I'm pleading with you. I, I shared it this way to, to someone this past week that was asking me some questions, some pretty serious questions about God. I thoroughly enjoyed the questions back and forth, but what do you have to lose to try to seek God? Like, like seek God, like open up the Bible, look into it, see if, I, if, if all the things that you've heard about are true. What do you have to lose? What if it is true? then everything that we've been sharing about, talking about, and saying is, is going to come, uh, become a reality in your life. Now, I know that it will. If they genuinely and honestly seek after God, he's going to show them. He says he's faithful in that way. What did Jesus say? Seek me and what? You shall find. If you're here this morning and, and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Look, I'm not asking for any kind of show or spectacle. Look, you don't have to do anything in the sense of coming down here in a few minutes during a song, although I highly encourage you to respond. Brother Doug and, and myself and maybe some other men will be here to, to pray with you. Some women will be here to pray with you. I'll tell you what, you can get up right now if you want. Nothing would be better to interrupt this service because it's not an interruption at all if someone would say, you know what, I need to be saved. Maybe you're a lot like me or others. When this life can be filled with all kinds of noise and other things, and we just got to start really leaning into the air traffic controller who knows what all's going on. And I need to really listen to that voice, the voice of God. One of my great struggles is watching people do things that, that I know aren't good for them. Have you ever had this problem? Like, like where, where people, like here's the, I wish I had superpowers. This is something I share all the time. I wish I had superpowers. I only wish I had one though. I wish I had the ability to make people do what I know is right. I don't want to fly. I don't want to do any of these other things. I want to make people do what I know is right. Unfortunately, I don't have that power. If I did, I promise you, it would look a lot different around here sometimes. It would look a lot different on our baseball team. I don't have that power. But what I do have is a knowledge of one who has changed my life completely and totally. And I have come to the recognition, so recognize the need you and I have for Christ the mediator. Will you recognize that this morning, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not? If you're not, praying and trusting that you will. But recognize the need you have. Realize that Jesus is the only or is the mediator between God and man. And then lastly, church family, let's rest in this mediation. Let's just stay there. Stay in the presence of God. I can assure you of this, there is nothing else in this life, nothing else in this life that's going to bring you close to God except Jesus Christ. Do you really want that to be true? Do we really want that to be true? Well, if that is to be true, nothing else except Christ. He's the middleman. He's the mediator. 
He's the one that preacher is talking about on the cross. And we get to hear the joy of him thinking about us. And, and you say, well, pastor, he's dying on the cross. That's joy. It is for you and me. It is for you and me. It's joy for me that he died on that cross because that's the only way, according to the word of God, that a man can be saved. But I praise God, he's not a dead God. He's a living God. And right now, you can come into the presence of a living and holy God. Will you? That's your choice. We're going to have a song. We're going to have an invitation. My invitation is, hey, don't not respond. Good English there. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word. Thank you for what you've taught me in my life. I know that I have not yet arrived at where you want me to be. And yet, God, I also know that all I got to do right now in this moment is humble myself, surrender in this moment. Trusting you and, and trusting your son, the mediator, Christ Jesus, in every aspect of my life. God, let that be true right now. Let that be true in an, an hour. Let that be true this afternoon and tomorrow and this week. Let this be true in my life. But God, not just in mine. Let that be true in ours. God, let us not take for granted what you've done for us, what you're doing for us, what you're going to do for us. And so for my life, God, nothing else except Christ. Let your spirit move in our hearts. Let us move to make decisions. God, let our heart be changed. We thank you in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church family, we stand and sing with us.